Hey everybody, welcome to episode 28 of Junior Golf Keys. I'm your host, Matt, and our guest this week, Ryan Daly, is the co-founder of Operation 36 Golf. Operation 36 is a development model, it's a curriculum, it is really a way to introduce new players to the game of golf and help them develop. So I'm really excited about this system. I think they've broken the mold for how new players get introduced to the game, how they develop, uh, how they continue to grow with the game. So far, uh, professionals at over 525 locations around the world are using this system, and it's impacted over 29,000 golfers so far since its birth. Uh, they've got some lofty goals. Ryan and his partner Matt have set a goal to introduce 1 million new golfers to the game by 2025. So really exciting. Uh, we have a great chat. Uh, just talk about some things in terms of traditional learning, the Operation 36 learning model. Uh, we talk about what Operation 36 is, why it was created. Uh, Ryan's got some really good advice for players and for parents. Uh, we talk a little bit about mentors. So have a really good discussion. Um, Ryan's background, Ryan spent 10 years uh, at Campbell University. He was the assistant director of the PGA golf management program um, and then moved into developing Operation 36. In 2019, he was named Golf Digest Best Teacher in the state of North Carolina. Uh, 2018 and 19, he was named Top 50 Growth of the Game Teaching Professional. In 2013, he was named to Carolina's PGA Section Youth Player Development Award. So Ryan's definitely got a lot of experience. He's got a lot of passion for the game of golf. Um, he's a father. He is somebody that just wants to really plug in and help people grow the game, help new players learn the game, um, help coaches with a method to teach the game. So he's just super plugged in, super excited, and uh, we had a really good conversation about it. So I can't wait to get into that with you guys. Uh, but I do want to pause for just a second, and I want to thank you. Uh, I want to thank you, the listeners. I really appreciate you guys tuning in every week. It means a lot to me. Um, I would just ask that you connect with me, whether it be email, juniorgolfkeys at gmail.com, whether it be on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Instagram. All of the handles on those three platforms are juniorgolfkeys, K-I-E-S. Um, would really appreciate you guys jumping on there, following us on those different platforms. We're putting out some different content on those platforms that's native to how they are developed and um, how content is seen on those platforms. So hopefully some good information there outside of just this podcast alone that you guys can pick up some different tips and um, you know help guide you in your journey through junior golf, both as parents and young players. So thank you very much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. You guys sit tight. I'll be right back with Ryan Daly. All right, everybody, welcome back uh, to Junior Golf Keys. Our guest this week uh, is Ryan Daly, the co-founder of Operation 36, and I've got Ryan on the phone with me. How's it going, Ryan? You're going great, Matt. I appreciate you taking the time to reach out to us and learn about our story and how we help kids and families in junior golf. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, um, you know, I'm always looking to try to bring value to this audience of families and young players that are, you know, just trying to learn, um, you know, new things in the junior golf space. And, you know, I get some feedback from time to time from families about, you know, how do people get started in golf? Um, you know, I've given them some ideas around that. And I just think that, um, operation 36 is something that I really want to explore with you, but kind of before we dive into that, if you would, um, could you just for context for the audience, just tell us a little bit about your background and maybe even how you got introduced to the game. Sure. More than happy to. Um, so I grew up in upstate New York, Saranac Lake, right next to Lake Placid, New York, um, was a wonderful place to grow up for winter sports. So I was big into ice hockey and skiing and cross country skiing, downhill skiing, and later in my high school years, the quarterback of the football team, Jim Donis, invited me to go play golf. I think I was 14 or 15. And I said, sure, I'll go out there and play. And first time out, uh, teed off on the first hole. I think I missed it three or four times. Ended up finishing the hole with like a 12 or a 13 on the hole. Yeah. And Jim got like a four or five. He was a pretty good athlete. And I was like, you know what, man, I'm done. I don't. I didn't enjoy that and I don't want to do this anymore. And he said, I'm sorry, Ryan, but this is the furthest point away from the clubhouse. So, <laughs> so you're going to have to finish up the final eight holes. And I said, okay. So that's how I kind of got started. I wrote down, I don't remember the number I wrote down for nine holes, but it was really high, but it was interesting by like the sixth or seventh hole. I looked, I kind of did a look in the mirror thing. And I said, you know what? I think if I practice enough, I could actually improve the next time I go out. And mm -hmm. golf, golf was the first individual sport that I really played. I was big into the team sports and those that have played team sports before they're fun, but sometimes you win and sometimes you lose and it has nothing to do with you. Whereas mm -hmm. in, in golf, it's everything to do with you. Right. Sure. And so I, I, really fell in love with golf. Uh, it was a sport that I could get up early in the morning and go play with the older men at the course and get to have mentors and improve my game. And I just really fell in love with the process of learning and improving and having to take ownership of whatever happens on the course and dealing with your emotions and the challenges involved. And I just absolutely fell in love with it. Went out for the high school golf team, my sophomore, no junior year, um, was fortunate enough to make it, got pretty good by my senior year. And then you know, thought I could play in college like any kid in high school. So I went down to the South. I went to Lynchburg College in Virginia first, tried out for the team, didn't make it. Then decided to come down to Campbell University in North Carolina to try out for their team, Division One team. Little did I know they were very, very good. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I went out. I played pretty good. I think in the tryout, it might have been 74, 75, 74, something like that. But it wasn't good enough to play in a D1 school. And they had a PGM school here, professional golf management. Now it's called the PGA golf management program accredited by the PGA of America and enrolled in that, did that for four years. Um, and then went into the industry, went okay. to teach, teaching the game of golf at Hay Caney golf ranch in McKinney, Texas. Then I taught for golf tech for a while. And then, uh, my professor in college, AC Cox called me up and said, Hey Ryan, do you want my job? <laughs> interesting and i said ac i would love it and i came back to north carolina with my wife who loved coming back to north carolina because she's from north carolina and i worked for campbell for a while and then we started operation 36 with a, a student at the time now my business partner for over 12 years matt reagan we started operation 36 i slowly left the university and now i do full-time operation 36 golf which is 
it started out with just juniors, but now we are hitting the beginner market as a whole, beginner ladies, beginner men, beginner seniors, beginner juniors. And that's kind of our niche in helping uh, get into the game of golf and falling in love with playing the game of golf. Cause that's how I fell in love with the game, not beating balls, not working on my swing. I actually fell in love with playing the game. So that's what we try to do. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys are growing very rapidly. I know that um, before we kind of jump into operation 36, um, you know, one of the things that I get people that reach out to me, you know, we're kind of just trying to figure out, you know, where golf can take them. And you mentioned the PGA golf management program. Can you talk a little bit about that and just what it is and kind of what students can get out of that? Absolutely. So the PGA golf management program is an accredited university program from the PGA of America. And there's, I might be off by a number or two, but at the time there was 18 schools across the United States that offered this. Your major could be a business major, bachelor's of business administration, could be a parks and rec degree. You, could, you need to look at the different schools to see what your major would be. Here at Campbell, it was a BBA. So you got your BBA, bachelor's of business administration, undergrad degree. And when you graduated, you got your PGA membership card. Okay. And it's really cool because you graduate with those two credentials. It gives you uh, some opportunities in the industry that you might not have had prior to that. But it is a challenging major. And those out there that think, ah, oh, I'm going to do golf, it's easy. It's actually pretty hard because you're basically double majoring. You have to do all your PGA books, all your PGA testing, all your PGA materials alongside your university classes for your BBA. And you've got to be a good enough player to pass your PAT. Right. If you, if you do all three of those things, then you can graduate and, uh, and be in good shape. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really cool program. There's a lot of students that come in and they might, figure out after a couple of years, this is exactly what they want to do. They go on internships, they go on 16 months of internships at different courses throughout the country and they get to apprentice under PGA members and figure out is golf really what they want to do. And then when they graduate, I believe the placement for a job is in the high nineties. It's like 95% will yeah. be placed in a job when they graduate. Um, but that's, that's kind of a quick overview. I'm not sure if there's anything in particular you wanted me to touch on, but it's, it's a really neat program. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the, it really creates a, a well-rounded um, student of the game, essentially, in a lot of different areas is what it sounds like. And I actually had uh, Kim Kinser on, who's the director of the PGA Golf Management Program at Eastern Kentucky University, where I went to school. Uh, okay. um, the program came on, I want to say it was maybe my junior year, and I was kind of in a place right then where I didn't want to take anything else on at the time. But, you know, for those of you listening that want to kind of dive a little bit deeper, too, um, surely you could connect with Ryan, but you could also go back and listen to that episode with Kim. It might give you some more insight around, you know, just some of the details of the program. And most, most programs, uh, Matt, run like a fall visitation day. I don't know if East, Eastern Kentucky did that, but I know Campbell and the East Coast schools, Methodist, Coastal Carolina, Clemson, NC State, they all run fall visitation days. So if somebody's interested, I think it's worth the time and the effort to come down and do a visitation day where you get to listen to the professors, tour the university, and then you get to play 18 holes with, a, with one or two of the actual students in the program. And that, I remember when we used to run those at Campbell, they were very successful in letting people learn more about the program. Um, the options available to them. And we used to have students that would, you know, hit all four schools in the Carolinas doing these visitation days. And uh, yeah. that might be an option for your viewers that are interested in doing that. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, we talk about uh, and have on several episodes, I've had some college coaches on and we've talked about college visits and different stuff like that. And this is definitely something that would be a good thing to incorporate um, into those visits if that's something that you're interested in learning about. So, yeah, I appreciate you just kind of high level sure. you know, overview on that program for us. Um, so you, you transition away from Campbell and start Operation 36. Um, what is Operation 36? So Operation 36 has evolved quite a bit. We started in 2010. Uh, now we're in 2020. So we've been working on this for a while. But what it is currently is, is it's an on-course development model and coaching program that's designed to take a beginner golfer from their very first round of golf to becoming a lifelong golfer. And when we first started, we tried to do everything. We tried to teach the better player. We tried to teach the intermediate player. We tried to teach the beginner. And it was just, we were trying to do too many things and we weren't actually good at what we were doing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so once we narrowed down and figured out, you know what, with the on-course component that we came up with, how effective that is for beginner golfers and even some intermediate golfers too, don't get me wrong, but our niche is really that beginner introductory student that's never picked up a club before. Maybe they picked it up a couple times, but they don't feel comfortable playing the game of golf. If they get hooked into one of our programs at one of our facilities, they get a really cool experience where they get to go on the golf course in their first or second experience, play from 25 yards away from the center of the green, play nine holes, shoot a halfway decent score, like a beginner golfer um, from 25 yards away. They've never picked up a club before. They'll shoot anywhere from like 45 to 50. Yeah. And that's a pretty respectable score for somebody that's never picked up a club before. Sure. And if they actually played from the tee box, oh my goodness. I mean, it wouldn't, you know, I mean, it right. would be dreadful. And we used to take some of our students in our early years out to the course from the tee box and we'd finish one, maybe one and a half holes. Yeah. And they were so frustrated. They didn't have enough golf balls left in their bag. They were frustrated, overwhelmed. They just wanted to go back to the putting green. They wanted to go back to the driving range because they just didn't enjoy playing on the course. But when we yeah. finally figured out that playing component, tied it into the coaching, and now we have the app to keep them motivated outside of class. It really helps to spur this and make it a long-term program where people stay in the program for three, four, five, six, even seven years as they improve. Yeah. So like a new golfer that comes out and, you know, they, they go through the process like you're talking about starting from 25 yards. What happens after that first round? Sure. So the coach puts on nine hole events. So it's, it's not like just hand the scorecard and the person goes out to 25 yards and plays. They certainly okay. can they certainly can do that. Like they can go out with their, since this is a junior podcast, they can go out with their parents or grandparents and use the op 36 mobile app, which has a GPS. They can walk to 25 yards, drop their ball. They don't need any extra T markers at their facility, but to play an official nine hole event, uh, there's a scorecard involved. They play with other players. A lot of times it's their first or second time with the coach when they go out and play that nine holes. So maybe okay. they have the, maybe they have the class with you on Tuesday where it's an hour class and you go through the op 36 curriculum, you play a lot of fun games. They're really enjoyable classes. And then maybe Saturday afternoon at the facility to run a nine hole event, you go out from 25 yards away. It really doesn't matter what you shoot that first time out. You just want to finish. And then if somebody finishes and they shoot a 48 or something, the coach is prompted to then say, all right, do you think you can get one stroke better? Do you think you can shoot a 47 next time out? And mm -hmm. usually a player's like, you know what? That's digestible. I think if I get a little bit better at 
putting or whatever they think sure. I can get I can get one stroke better and then a week later they play in, or they come back to class on Tuesday then the next Saturday they'll play in another nine hole event and most of the time they'll shoot like a 44 or a 43 and then they'll do the same thing again and then slowly after usually four or five attempts they'll beat 25 yards and then they'll move back to 50 yards okay they'll do, this, they'll do the same thing again once they beat 36 eventually they'll move back to 100 150 200 and then we have five t-box divisions that take you all the way back to 3200 yards which is usually the back t-box at a course but it really lays out a really neat development model for folks that can clearly see oh i start here at 25 and then the goal is to get good enough to shoot 36 here and then i slowly move back and Mm. it seems to be so far pretty simple to explain and simple for parents to go oh that makes complete sense it's just like the other things we do in tennis we start out with a big tennis ball and a smaller court and as we get better we go to a bigger court and a smaller ball in basketball we start with a lower hoop and a smaller ball and as my kid gets older he goes to a bigger ball and a bigger hoop that makes sense why has this been thought of before and yeah like well other people have like harvey pennick wrote about it in his little red book all we've done is taken it and marketed it such that it's okay and it's the cool thing to do now. So people aren't yeah. like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be the only one doing it. Like if you came out to Keith Hills, our course here at Campbell, mm-hmm. you would actually see parents and kids on a casual day, like a Monday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon, playing the yardages to get ready for their nine-hole event the next weekend. It's really cool to see. Yeah, that is neat. Um, so – how do people get introduced to this? I mean, how do parents and, and families find these programs around the country? So the easiest thing to do is to go on the Op36 website. Op36.golf is the website. And there's several orange buttons that say find a program. And if they click on that, the I think as of this morning, we were at 525 facilities. Those facilities will pop up on the map. Okay. Um, in eight different countries as well, but most of them are in the U.S. And they can find a facility near them. They click on the facility. That'll bring them to a form where they can reach out to the coach and see what options are available at their facility. Okay. Yeah, I saw um, one of my buddies from college from Eastern Kentucky who went through the PGA Golf Management Program, I believe, is involved. Um, he was at a Robert Trent Jones course in Alabama and I, he may still be down there. Uh, Brandon Malk is his name, but I saw he posted a picture from the PGA show. I think you guys had a big group of people that got together there. Yeah, Brandon's doing a fantastic job. He was one of our top 50 coaches this year. So at the okay. end of every fall season, we go through our – well, the neat thing about keeping all these stats on the students, like their scores, uh, how much they've played, how much they've practiced – we can actually measure the effectiveness of a coach, which is kind of scary. (laughs) (laughs) Right. No pressure. Right, right. So like Operation 36 is going to hold, this program holds coaches accountable for being effective. Like if you're not an effective coach and your players aren't improving, it's going to (laughs) show. Yeah. And sometimes we get a little pushback from coaches on that. However, most of the time the coach is like, they're ready to step up. They're like, Ah, it's about time we get held accountable for actually doing what we're supposed to be doing. I'm ready. Right. So Brandon did a fantastic job in 2019. Objectively, his stats in the app, he created a significant number of golfers, a lot of strokes lost by his players. And out of all the coaches in our uh, in the network, he was voted one of the top 50 down at the PGA show. He was 
brought on stage and awarded that. So his facility um, is also a top 50 location. So any parents that reach out to Brandon or any of these top 50 facilities know that they're going to be getting a top 50 experience if they sign up in one of those programs. So Brandon's, Brandon's a rock star. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, we shared some messages back and forth around the time of the PGA show, and I was going to try to make it up, actually, and I didn't get a chance. So um, I'll have to connect with him, definitely, and tell him that we had an opportunity to chat as well. Uh, be good to, to talk to him about the program. But, you know, I think that's one of the things that families struggle with. You know, how do you find a good coach? Um, you know, at the end of the day, golf is a game, and you kind of alluded to it a little bit. You're talking about your experience growing up at the end of the day, golf's a game about playing the game and putting the ball in the hole. Right. Um, 100%. 100%. And I think sometimes, and I saw it a little bit in the Academy world uh, where I spent some time, uh, you know, you, you, you sort of see sometimes a, a range warrior mentality, um, you know, kids out there beating balls, searching for that uh, perfect swing. Uh, but sometimes it's lost a little bit of, you know, what you're actually trying to accomplish when you're out there in terms of playing the actual game. So, I mean, what, what would you have to weigh in on that? I would, uh, I would wholeheartedly hundred percent agree with you. Like my, my most enjoyable times in my life in the golf industry was when I was playing on a consistent basis. My most challenging times in my own personal golf game was when I was not playing and I was just searching and I was on the range and man I had some challenging times out in Dallas when I was trying to play professionally and I thought thought that the way to improve at my game was to focus a hundred percent of my energy on improving my ball striking my chipping my putting in a practice environment and I'll never forget when I went out to Dallas my scoring average was somewhere in the seven mid seventies. I mean, it wasn't fantastic, but I was a halfway decent player, but I went out there in hopes of trying to get into the low seventies and the high sixties. Mm-hmm. And after a year and a half of taking consistent lessons on a weekly basis, hitting balls from sun up to sundown at a range that had lights. I mean, I put in the work, I got up in the morning, did yoga. I mean, I did everything I could. And I mean, I was broken as a player at the end. I couldn't break 90 when I went on a regulation golf course. I had no clue where the ball was going. And it was, I mean, it was a tough time for me. Yeah, And I vowed at that point, I was like, I do not want anybody to have to go through the same process that I went through. And I slowly rebuilt my game. I came back to North Carolina. As I said, I got with David Orr, who's a phenomenal instructor down here. And I, I just told him what my challenges were. And I said, Hey man, I just need to be built back up. I am just a broken player right now. Help me. And he, first thing he said to me is he goes, how much are you playing? I said, to be honest, I don't even enjoy playing anymore because it's so bad. He's like, the first thing I need you to do is I need you to start playing on a consistent basis. I'm happy to help you with your swing and your putting, but you got to get playing again. And I got back on track. I got down uh, into the mid seventies again, which was fairly respectable. And I felt good about myself, but at that point it was too late in my career for me to continue. And I vowed, I'm like, you know what, if we ever do something for future generations in the game of golf, it's got to be centered around playing the game and really falling in love with exactly what you said, getting the ball in the hole, because some of these students that we see that we don't catch early enough, they hit a couple bad shots on the course and they just cave in and it's a miserable experience for them and their parents. They just don't quite understand how to take a day when you're not hitting it well, you're not chipping and putting well, but figuring out how to make a score. Yeah, And it's interesting how the mentality of our kids in Op 36 now, since this is a junior podcast, we'll just focus on kids, is 
since they start 25 yards away and they start to value chipping and pitching and putting and scoring more importantly, mm-hmm. when they get, when they get back to like 150, 200 and they're playing in their middle school matches at the tee box, yeah. it's really interesting when they go out there and they don't hit it that great on how to get it in the hole, no matter how they're hitting it. And they have those really good short game skills that they'll turn a 45 into like a 40. Yeah. They'll turn a 42 into a 38. It's nothing that we did as coaches. It's just the environment that we put them in that values chipping and pitching and putting and scoring. And I am convinced that there's going to be some country here in the near future that puts this model in place as their development model for all of their juniors to start because it puts them in such a good mindset, a growth mindset that they're open to learning and improving that by the time that they get to the tee box, they get in these pro events or these Olympic events. I think that this upbringing is really going to help them in their confidence and belief in their skills. So I'm excited about that at some point happening. Yeah. I mean, I I definitely see that as a real possibility. I mean, you know, I've seen players stand out and stripe it on the range and then they do struggle to get the ball in the hole. And, you know, there's a, there's an artistry to being out on the course and, you know, figuring out how to hit different shots. And like you said, get yourself, you know, out of trouble and um, you know, just like correct because everybody's going to have bad ball striking days. Right. And, you know, that's just a given. And it doesn't matter if you spend, you know, 50 hours a week hitting balls on the range. Um, you know, you can go out there on the course and not bring your a ball striking game. And, uh, but you can still put a score up. And there's right. There's a, there's a skill to playing the game, right? Like there's a skill to problem solving, like, all right, I'm at point a, how do I get to point B? And at least in our experience, the players that play the most are the best problem solvers. Like they've been in that position before they've been in the trees. They've been in a situation where they went double, 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 and they're not going to freak out because they've done that. And they've got so many reps in playing the game that even if they went up against somebody that had a better ball striker or they were a stronger kid or they were a taller kid, that kid's not going to even come close to them just because they have so many reps playing. And when I look at some of these junior players that are, you know, going on to play at some really good colleges, they've played a ton of golf right yeah and like if we i would always love to do this i just haven't had the time to do this if we went back and tallied how many tournament rounds tiger woods has played in his lifetime Mm -hmm. unbelievable what number we would come up with i think he's probably played more tournament rounds of golf than i have casually played in my lifetime oh i'm sure and and i would have his mindset and understanding on how to be able to do that and the strength I think is what separates him from a lot of these other players. And that's what we're trying to do with op 36 is we're just trying to get the kids reps, get your reps in on the course, learn how to score, start at a yardage that where you can have success. And let's just keep getting your reps in and see if this is something that you enjoy and that you excel at. I feel so bad for these kids that don't get enough reps in. And then they just say, I'm not good enough. Yeah. You don't have enough reps in. You haven't played in enough tournaments. You haven't played enough rounds to even tell yourself that you're not good enough. You gotta, I don't know what the number is, but you got to get a certain number of reps in to give yourself a, a decent chance to go out and play and learn how to shoot lower scores is kind of the mentality that we've taken over the years. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've had some top junior ranked players on here, and one of them just started uh, his college career at Alabama in January, Cannon Claycomb, and uh, he just took seventh this week in his second collegiate tournament. 
which when I had him on, we talked a lot about this, which was I knew I actually recruited him when I was in the academy world and I tried to get him to come uh, to the academy. And uh, at the end of the day, the model that was there wasn't something that suited him from the standpoint of playing. He didn't spend a lot of time practicing on the range. He really played a lot of golf. And I mean, it shows because he's really excelled in the junior space and then you know, in his second tournament in college to have a top 10. I mean, that's, that's a big deal. Um, fantastic. Yeah. A lot of, a <laughs> lot of really good players there. Uh, a lot of really good schools. And, you know, one of the big things that I've talked about on this show is the mental game. And so can you kind of go into a little bit about, you know, all this stuff that we're talking about around, you know, putting yourself just out there and learning how to play and learning how to score what does that do to a player's confidence and mental strength? Sure. So my view on the mental game is like there's different skills that you have to bring to different areas of your life, right? Like, so if somebody is on the driving range, there's a certain skill that they have to have to hit a ball from a level lie with no pressure. Right. There are certain skills that you need to bring to the putting green when nobody's around and you're just kind of freewheeling it. There's certain skills you need to bring to the golf course if you're playing. There's certain skills you need to bring to the golf course in a tournament environment. Similar to like, there's a really good book called Alter Ego by Tom, Todd Herman. Phenomenal book I read recently, and that kind of has helped shape my perspective on this. And it's similar to like, as a father, there's certain skills that you need to bring to the workplace. Those are very different skills that you need to bring, uh, very different skills than you would bring when you came home to your seven-year-old daughter. You don't want to bring that same skill set from work. You don't want to be like hard driven and, um, and hold her accountable. She's seven. I mean, yeah, there's different skills that you would bring. So I think what we're doing in op 36 from the mental side is we're helping students bring their alter ego to the golf course, which might be different than the skills or the ego that they have on the driving range or the practice facility. And actually they're completely different. And we have some of our players try to do like a mental switch where it's like, all right, it's golf course time. These are the skills that I need to bring to the golf course. Who is a golfer that I look up to that has these skills? Oh, I had a student last week. He told me Tiger Woods brings the skills to the golf course that he wants to bring in terms of he does the pre-shot routine every single time is exactly the same. Mm. He doesn't get too high or too low in his emotions. Um, and it always seems like he's trying his best, no matter if he's going to make a birdie or he's going to make a double bogey. I said, perfect. I want you to copy tiger. You are tiger woods today. Yeah. And he's, he's like, coach, how am I supposed to do that? I said, let's find something that's red. He goes, what do you mean? I said, let's find a red bracelet. So we found a red bracelet. And I said, when you put this red bracelet on, that is your trigger that you're tiger woods today. And when you go on the golf course, you need to emulate tiger woods. You're not Rick Smith anymore. You are tiger woods. And when he went out there and he did that and came back, it's interesting, these students, when we have them do that, sometimes when we formally have them do that or informally when they're playing in the matches, they come back and they're like, that was so easy. I didn't even, I didn't have any of my normal faults or any of my normal bad feelings and thoughts uh, from maybe that I've had previously. I was just Tiger Woods today and it was so easy for me to be Tiger Woods. It was almost like I had these superpowers that I've never had before. Interesting. So from, a, so from a mental standpoint, we've had a lot of success with students in terms of doing that because we all have scars 
And sometimes these scars are self-inflicted, but a lot of times these scars come from the people who love us the most, our parents and our grandparents. And those scars come because maybe we three-putted a couple times and dad, you know, threw the hat on the cart path or said to us when it, when they came, when we came off the putting green, how can you three putt that? Or yeah. you're such a bad putter. Or how can you do this to me? I'm spending all this money on golf lessons. And, you know, as dad, sometimes you have those knee jerk reactions and later you feel like, man, I shouldn't have said that. But unfortunately, when you do say that, that pain immediately goes to the student or the child and it's really hard to get rid of it. We've had a lot of success in doing this alter ego where they are not Rick Smith anymore being told by their parents that they're a horrible putter, being bitter because mom and dad are upset that they're spending this money and you're not scoring low enough. No, you're Tiger Woods now. Yeah. And you can switch your mindset to being Tiger and it frees them um, to be able to bypass some of those scars that we all have, inevitably either self-inflected or by the people that love us the most. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that answers your mental question. I think I got off tangent on that. but um... <laughs> No, I mean, I think that was a really good uh, path to go down because – I mean, I don't know if you were, you know, playing as a kid. I don't know if you ever did this or not, but I mean, I remember several times with a buddy or two, you know, around the chipping green growing up as a kid, you know, picking who we were in terms of, yep. you know, what player we were and we're going to get up and down to win the U.S. Open and, um, yep. you know, different stuff like that. So it kind of took me back there and, you know, reminded me a little bit of, uh, you know, what I've did as a kid to, I don't, you know, reflecting on what you were talking about, maybe that's what I was doing, you know, kind of creating an alter ego out on the golf course there. Uh, but it's, you guys are doing that at scale. I think we, I think all of us, Matt, I think we did this as kids. Like when I go back and think about like my best hockey games, my best hockey games I played, I was Wayne Gretzky. Yep. I wasn't Ryan. I remember, I remember crystal clearly some of those games where I would sit in the locker room before we played and I would just, I would envision Wayne on the ice for the Kings or the Oilers. And I'm like, all right, this is what Wayne does. And I go on the ice and I'd get to the end of the first period. And I'd be like, what just happened? <laughs> right. And I'm like, holy crap, I scored two goals. I had two assists. That's not normal, Ryan. What is going on here? And then, you know, sometimes I'd lose it. And then two weeks later, I'd do the same thing again. I wish I just had some coaching on the mental aspect for so I could do it more often. I just kind of fell into it. Yeah. And well, the thing with the thing with us on the course, though, is like, it's it's almost training the students that shooting low scores is the norm. Mm. Yeah. So they go out from 25 yards away. My daughter does this. She's seven now. She goes out 25 yards away and she shoots a 38. And it took me, I think it took me like two, maybe three years when I first started playing to shoot a 38. I mean, it took me a long time yeah. to shoot a 38 from the tee box. It might've been longer than that. It could have been four years. But for Addie, my daughter, who's seven, and these players in Op 36, for them to go out and write down a 37 or to write down a birdie for the first time ever or to write down a 34, holy smokes. I yeah. mean, confidence-wise, you can see their shoulders relax, their chest comes out, they're excited, they run to the car. Grandpa, I shot a 37 today. And the grandpa's like, what? I've never shot 37 before. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then they're trained to have all these low scores. It's going to be so cool to see like 20 years from now, 30 years from now, these kids that were brought up shooting low scores. Does it unlock this mental barrier to shooting lower scores later in life? I would love to see that in 20 to 30 years. I think it will. My, I, I hope it will. It's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, it definitely will. Um, I'm looking forward to that as well because – you know, you talk about like 
having a good attitude and, you know, being strong mentally and, you know, different stuff like that. We use these different phrases, but like, what does that mean? Right. But if you can actually put somebody in a situation to develop that skill, I mean, that's a, that's a game changer. Oh, hundred percent. It's a game changer in uh, life outside of the course. Yeah, for sure. Right? Like I, I've had some really good discussions recently about, you know, the skill of problem solving, like, the ability to make a decision, then deal with the result, and then problem solve a better result. I mean, that skill is so powerful. I mean, I have that discussion with my 10-year-old, my oldest son all the time. Right. And it's interesting to me how much they need to be prompted on that skill. And I think it's just my na- my being naive and, and assuming that kids know this, but like that ability to take ownership of solving a problem is so important. And when they're on the golf course, and as long as dad and mom are kind of backing off and letting the student solve the problems, which means choosing the club, choosing the shot, um, them making the decision on how hard to hit the putt or not. And the parents, if they're caddying, you know, still having a good time, but just don't make any of the decisions for the player. Let them make the decisions. That ability to do that translates directly into everything off the course sure and i've seen i mean my oldest now he's gotten so much better at solving problems around the house he's gotten so much better in his academics in his math in his history in his english he, he tries as best as he can to problem solve stuff and then if he gets in trouble or he can't figure it out he understands that in golf if he gets in trouble we always tell him hey TR, ask your coach. I don't know the answer. Ask your coach. So he's prompted to know that he needs to ask his coach. And then at home, he's homeschooled. When he has trouble in math, he tries as best as he can three times to problem solve. And then when he can't solve it, he goes to his mom and asks. I think that ability to problem solve is so important just because later on, when there's problems that arise in your family as a husband or raising your family, you can't wait for somebody else to solve your problems. Right. Well, and it sounds like, too, the way that you position that with him is, you know, multiple attempts. And I would venture to guess, just based on the conversation that we're having, that nine out of ten times he doesn't get to number three. A hundred percent. Right. I think it's just that first leap is so challenging to try to problem solve the first attempt by yourself. Sure. That if you can train him to at least take one attempt, they'll take the second one and then potentially they need help after the third one. But like if. I just see, I see it in the college students that I used to help at the university. It's like they come asking for help all the time for everything. And it's like, you know what? I don't mind helping you and solving your problem. But unfortunately, when you graduate here at 22, mm-hmm. the, re- the real world, you're going to have to solve your own issue. The government isn't going to solve it. Your parents aren't going to be there to solve it. You have got to step up and try to solve it. And even if you aren't successful at least you tried and learned one way not to do it and then try something else it's just that hurdle of that first one if we can get them across the starting block of trying to solve that problem it's so powerful and i can see it on the golf course and i'm sure you see it too with players as well it's just if you can get them at a at a fairly young developmental age to solve their own problems or at least attempt it i so cool to see these little minds start problem solving stuff and they get in the trees and they start figuring out gosh if i hit seven here it's going to hit the limb if i hit five it's going to go under and they're talking to themselves which self-talk is awesome when they're trying to solve problems yeah absolutely absolutely um let's you know i don't want to put you on a pedestal for you know preaching as a parent but at the same time you're 
it sounds like you're a, a really good dad in terms of, you know, how you're approaching, you know, raising your kids and, and putting some um, uh, things in place that can help develop them. And, you know, just kind of talking about some of the feedback that you've had and the experiences that you've had with college students, what kind of advice do you have for parents just about their reactions, you know, around a kid when they're playing golf or, you know, just kind of the approach that they take or what is their role as a parent um, trying to guide their kid in this game? Sure. So mom and dad have the most power. Like how mom and dad react and what mom and dad say have the most power in a child's mind. No doubt in my mind, 110%. Yeah. And how they, how they react is so important. A coach I've been in that position as a coach for a long time as well. I can do everything I can to give the kid a, to try to develop a growth mindset, to fill their mind with positive thoughts, to pump them up with self-confidence, to tell them that they're a good person, to uh, put them in an environment that's positive where they have other kids that are a little bit better than them, a little bit worse than them. As a coach, I can do all that. But the moment they get in the car and the moment dad says something that digs really deep, in a negative way, all that is thrown out the window. And I guess my advice to parents, and and the only way I know this is because my dad was so darn good at it. My dad was one of the most supportive, gentlest men I've ever been around. And he never said anything to me at the hockey rink. And he never said anything to me at the car ride home. And I always wondered why he never did he would bring it up like the next day at dinner or the following day. He had this really good understanding of the cool down period, I guess, where you need to give people time to cool down. Sure. And we'd get to dinner the day after and he'd be like, Hey bud, what'd you think about the game yesterday? And I'd say, you know what, dad, I, I had time to think about it. And that one, gosh, I need to pass. I was hogging the puck too much and I need to make sure that I'm passing using my teammates better. And I got to work on my conditioning because I'm, I'm just not as strong as the other kids. And he would just go, okay. And that was it. (laughs) He knew, he knew that if you would just allow, if he would just allow me the time to reflect that I would come up, maybe not with the perfect answer, but Mm. I would come up with a answer. And I would just share with parents now, believe in your kids enough that they can kind of figure out what they're doing. Don't jump in and solve their problems right away. Yeah. Give them, give them a little bit of time to figure it out. It is really hard though. I'll be completely honest. Like we were at a basketball game for TR the other day and it was a playoff game and 10 U basketball. And man, I just, I felt myself wanting to scream and yell. Yeah. It felt myself wanting to tell him where to go on the basketball court. And I kept, you just have to tell yourself, don't say anything, don't say anything, (laughs) don't say anything. And then you get to the end of the game and they lost and you can see it on his face that he was kind of devastated and I can just feel it as a parent, we're trained to correct and to protect, right? Right. We're, we're trained, if they're going to put their hand on the stove, to tell them no, because you don't want them to burn their hand. Mm. And we're trained to protect and correct. But at the end of the basketball game, I just wanted to be like, tell them, hey, bud, I, you should have been over here. And if you would have done this fake here, and if you would have jumped higher. And I, I caught myself, I said, stop it. Don't do this. And fortunately, I didn't. I've made some mistakes, too. We all have. Sure. And I didn't say anything and didn't say anything in the car ride. He was crying. He was upset. Hey, it was an important game to him. He wanted to win. Yeah. Uh, Didn't say anything to him that night, wrote him a nice letter. So when he woke up in the morning, he read it, told him how proud I was and how proud I was of his effort and uh, that he needed to just move on because you can't, 
can't sulk on these games forever and continue to work hard. And the neat thing was when I came home from work that night after the game, he was shooting hoops in the yard. So it was a, it was a good cool. experience. But I think we're wired, all of us, to correct, protect, and jump in. And you just got to have that self-restraint to just not say it because you're going to do more damage than productivity when you say something. And I've learned over the years that, like, you can – kids can spin anything you tell them into a negative light. Yeah. Right. So like if you, if they hit a good shot, a good seven iron from whatever yardage and you're like, man, great shot. And you have good intentions, right? You said great shot, but then on the next hole, when they chunk a seven iron and you don't say anything, Mm. they're like, Oh gosh, I didn't get my dad's approval. Gosh, I'm no good. I'm not good at anything. So yeah. my best my best advice is don't say anything, even <laughs> though you want to get excited and you want to get pumped. Yeah. Some of the best parents we've had are just kind of like chill. They ride in the cart. They get to the end. They're like, oh, what'd you shoot? And they're like, oh, 37. They're like, oh, okay, cool. We playing next weekend? Yeah. Or what'd you shoot? Oh, I shot a 47. Oh, okay, cool. We playing next weekend? And they just kind of have this really cool uh, barometer where they don't get too high and they get too low. It's it's so hard though, Matt. I mean, it's easy to talk about, but you just care so much about these kids that you want what's best for them and your own kids too. That you just got to have that self restraint. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a parent, so I can't <laughs> speak to it from that side. But I've definitely coached, and you know, it is tough. And like you said, I'm not perfect either. I mean, I've I've definitely made those mistakes before. Um, and probably will again, but yeah, that's, that's some really good advice. Cause it's, it's super difficult to do. And I mean, maybe, you know, walking half a hole behind instead of, you know, being right yeah, up there, idea. you know, is something that can help some parents, you know, instead of like feeling the urge to jump in, or at least at that distance, nobody can hear you. Right. That's a great idea. I like that. I <laughs> yeah. Walk a hole behind. I mean, like in the, in the team events, did you play any team sports? I did. Yeah. I played uh, baseball and basketball, mostly uh, outside of golf. Perfect. So when mom and dad are in the stands, they just blend in. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I, I remember the hockey games and the baseball games, mom and dad, when they'd always ask me, Hey, did you hear mom was screaming for you? I didn't hear a thing. I'm sorry. I, I don't hear anything. Like you, everybody blends in, but in golf, there's only a handful of spectators out there. Right. They can hear everything you say. If a dad, gosh, I'll never forget. I was at the state tournament a couple of years ago in North Carolina watching one of our kids. And one of the dads, after every time there was a bad shot, he'd like scuff the ground, like kick the ground, almost like a, a baseball manager scuffs the ground <laughs> right. for an umpire, you know, yeah. like, trying. well, he would do that. And you could kind of tell after three or four holes that he did that after every poor shot that his kid shot mm-hmm. hit. Uh, and you could see the kid, like he'd hit the ball a little bit to the right. He'd listen. He'd hear the dad kick the ground. And I don't think the dad knew he was doing it, Yeah. but it was just, gosh, the poor kid out there, you could tell. And then after a while, his, his shoulders shrunk and uh, it was just, it was tough. So I like your suggestion of a half hole behind. That's, a, that's actually a really good suggestion. Yeah, thanks. I don't know. Just something that, yeah, it might be able to help. Um, let's talk a little bit about, I don't know what your opinion would be on this, but do you ever give any advice to kids around how to have difficult conversations with their parents about these types of things? You mean like what, what you, what you want mom and dad to do versus yeah. what they're doing? I mean, ultimately it is, you know, mom and dad's responsibility and there's a, you know, authoritative relationship there and, you know, kids ultimately want to be respectful, I think of, of authority. Um, but is that ever any conversations that you have? 
Uh, we have had a few of those over the years. Those are really difficult ones to guide and help when it's the three folks. Like you get the mom and the dad, you get the son, yeah. and then you get the coach and you kind of do a mediation. Those are tough. Those are really, really challenging. You got to have really good moms and dads that are open to feedback yeah. um, in those situations. We've had, we've had success doing a couple other things that may help the audience. Um, as coaches in Out36, we try to provide them with resources to provide to their parents on best practices on how to guide the development of a child in golf. Okay. And we go through three or four different really good key phrases that they can use, such as when you're on the course and your child asks you how to hit a shot or what to do, even if you know how to do it, you still say, I don't know, ask your coach. Mm. And the reason you say that is because it deflects the ownership from you back to the player right? and then back to the coach. So then you can still be mom and dad, love and support, hugs and kisses, no matter what. But if the ball goes in the woods, it's not your fault. It's not the dad's fault. It's the kid has to take the ownership. And then if he can't figure out why it's going in the trees, then they got to ask the coach. So that's a really cool phrase that we've used over the years. I don't know. Ask your coach. Uh, we provide videos to parents throughout 36 that allow them to uh, watch some really, really good parent education material from Golf Canada, PGA of Canada, and then an organization that we've just really started a good relationship with out in California called I Love to Watch You Play. Okay. A Asia Map does a great job with that company and puts out some really good videos. And there's one in particular that we use all the time. If you go on YouTube and type in I Love to Watch You Play, uh, one of their most watched videos is a recording of kids saying what they like and don't like about their parents at athletic events. Hmm. And it is amazing what answers these kids come up with. <laughs> yeah. And almost all of them are like, the worst thing is when mom and dad say something. The best thing is when mom and dad don't say anything. Hmm. And it's, it's kid after kid after kid. And these aren't golf. I think it's volleyball, basketball, baseball, all these different sports. And it's interesting. We've had a few parents over the years come up to us and they typically don't do it in public. They'll pull us aside and they're like, they'd be like, Hey Ryan, that video you sent out was so helpful. I had no idea that kids would prefer us not to say anything. I thought I was helping by telling them what to do. I guess I'm actually hurting them. So from now on, I'm going to try to not say as much. And we're like, Oh yes. Interesting. Um, and then in some really bad situations as a coach, you've got to kind of man up and draw a line in the sand and pull them aside and say, you know, for the benefit of your son, I'm going to give you some feedback right now. And I don't think you're going to like it. Yep. But for the benefit of your son, I'm going to tell you when you do a deep breath, when you are caddying for him and telling him he hit a bad shot and making him feel bad, that not only makes him feel bad, but it makes everybody in the group feel bad. Mm. And I strongly recommend that you go a different route when you're caddying for him. And most of the time the, the dads are kind of embarrassed. They're like, Holy smokes. I didn't even realize I was doing this. Thank you so much for letting me know. Yeah. I, I will change, but the having that conversation, that's a tough one to have. And I, the first five, six, seven years I was coaching, I was not uh, strong enough, self-confident enough in my coaching that I could do that. But, yeah. Um, that's a tough conversation to have. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think at the end of the day, like you said, you know, parents may not even realize it. I mean, I think 99.9% .9 of parents out there are wanting to help. Right. But just don't know how. 100%. Yep. 
So, and one other example that might help too, Maggie Simons gave me this example. She teaches out in Oregon. Mm-hmm. She used to play at Wake Forest. She was a really good golfer. Yeah. And she had, she had a little bit of a temper, I guess is the best way to say it on the golf course. <laughs> and the Wake Forest coach couldn't figure out how to correct it. And then finally the coach took a video, an old VHS video camera and videoed her on the golf course and her behavior. Uh-huh. And she watched, she watched it one time and said, Oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm reacting like this. And she changed immediately. Wow. A, a coach we've, we've had a coach do this before. He'll record the parent the parent child interaction with a phone. They won't tell them that they're recording it, but they'll kind of walk up and then record it. Yeah. And then afterwards they'll share it with the parent and the parent will be like, I said that. Oh my goodness. I can't believe they're just not aware. They want to help. They're just not aware. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you guys are doing an awesome job, uh, you know, with this program and, you know, just educating um, parents and players. You guys have got a mission to introduce 1 million new golfers to the game by 2025. How do you get there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty daunting goal, but we had, we had to create something that would get us excited. So we're excited to try to introduce a million new golfers by, 2025 the definition of a new golfer is not somebody that hits balls on the driving range or chips and putts a new golfer a created golfer is somebody that has played from 25 yards away and shot 36 or better okay so we're going to try to create a million of those by 2025 we've partnered with some fantastic coaches across the world that are jumping on board and helping with this we do need additional help so we need more coaches we need more facilities because every facility can only handle about a hundred students in their academy. Okay. So if you do the math on that, we need quite a few facilities. We don't, we definitely don't have enough right now with 525. We need more facilities. And there are families that are looking for programming out there. Like um, just this quarter, we've sent a thousand leads to our coaches that have come through the website. So wow. if there are coaches out there, or even if there are parents out there that want op 36 at their facility, reach out to us. We'll reach out to the pro or the coach at the facility and see if it's a good fit. We have even had, which is just mind blowing to me, Matt, and I never thought this would happen. We've had parents pay for the program at their facility just so their child could do op 36 and then the coach would run it. Wow. That's really cool. Incredible to me. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Well, I mean, I definitely know that those people are listening because I've received messages from all that you mentioned. So I know there's some coaches that are listening. There's definitely parents that are listening that are looking for new ways to get their kids introduced to golf. So, I mean, what is the best way for coaches and for parents to reach out to you all about this program? Yeah. For coaches, uh, jump on op36.golf, the website. We do 10 minute demo, 10 minute demos. We have PGA professionals on staff that'll run you through exactly what operation 36 is, how it can benefit you at your facility. Um, and for parents jump on op 36.golf, the same website, there's a big orange button that says find a program. And that's a, that's probably the easiest way for coaches and parents to connect with us. Okay, great. Um, well, I really appreciate your time, Ryan. Uh, as sure. we move towards wrapping up, something I started a little over a month ago was um, kind of flipping roles at the end of the call just to um, help the listeners get a little bit more insight about me and this project and, you know, wh- you know what's going on there. So I want to kind of toss it over to you um, to hit me with a question or two. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so your last name is Keys. Yes, sir. 
Is that correct? It and is. The name of this name of this podcast is Junior Golf Keys. K I E S. K I Junior Golf Keys. All right. So your vision for parents and juniors to try to help them on this podcast. Can you can you um, clarify that again? Yeah, absolutely. So I've got a super big passion for the game of golf. Um, it's done a lot for me in terms of a lot of the stuff that you talked about, honestly, you know, outside of the golf course. I just believe that the game of golf um, as an individual sport is, in my opinion, the best game out there and the most relatable uh, to the game of life. And so, um, you know, that's my belief. And I think that, uh, you know, the more young people and people in general that we can get introduced to the game and the more tools and resources that they have to understand how to get involved, what that path looks like, um, you know, path to college, a lot of them are interested in. Um, I just wanted to create this resource so that families, uh, both parents and players have an opportunity to learn, um, you know, where they go and how they navigate their junior golf career. That's perfect. And then what do you see from your perspective on doing these interviews and learning more about junior golf as some of the challenges or barriers to entry for moms and dads that want to get their kids into golf? Um, I think a lot of times, and this is something that I saw too when, when I was recruiting players in the academy world, a lot of times parents just don't know what they don't know. And so right. that's that's a big reason behind this project too is like, I understand the space really well. And there's so many people like yourself out there that um, have little niches in the golf industry or have a broad scope, um, you know, of the industry itself. And so I just feel like, you know, we can kind of pull our resources together to help those families that kind of don't know what they don't know, learn about golf and, you know, how their young players can get involved. Absolutely. I, I think one of the, one of the, myths in golf that I've seen recently as we've dived into this for juniors is like the myth that golf is too expensive. Mm. And the reason I call it a myth is you look at some of the sports that are thriving right now and they are significantly more expensive than golf. Sure. Like ice hockey is doing phenomenal right now. USA hockey has seen uptick in participation like they've never seen before. Hockey is an expensive sport. Yeah. Um, the equipment that you have to buy and the kids grow out of it is extremely expensive. The ice time you pay for is extremely expensive down here in North Carolina. If you want to get your kid involved in hockey, you're going to probably drop gosh, five, six, seven grand a year at a minimum. Sure. And to get your child involved in golf down here in North Carolina, I mean, you can get an op 36 program in an eight month program for with golf clubs included eight month program where they come to class every week for eight months out of the year. Uh, maybe just over a thousand dollars, twelve hundred dollars. Yeah. If you if you just want to do a summer camp to try it out, might be two hundred bucks, two hundred fifty bucks. Sure. So I would, at some point, I'd love to bust that myth that golf is too expensive. I mean, my my business partner Matt Reagan, who's helped me since the beginning, he took his daughter skiing last weekend, and oh my goodness. Yeah, talk about an expensive uh, activity. 
he was telling me how much the lift pass was for him, his wife and his daughter, sure. and then the ski rentals, and then the ski school that they had to take to learn how to ski. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was upwards of six, $700 for that weekend. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I coached Little League Baseball for several years, too, and, you know, the Little League Baseball model has changed quite a bit over the years since I grew up playing uh, in that there are so many more travel ball teams than there ever were um, when I was a young player. I mean, when I grew up playing little league baseball in Atlanta, there were, I think one travel team in the, you know, North Metro Atlanta area. And, you know, it was a lot of the top studs that played, like I had a buddy that played and he ended up, you know, starting third base at Georgia tech. You know, that was the kind of caliber ball players that were playing travel ball. Now it seems like on every corner, there's a new travel ball team and they're super expensive to get involved in. (laughs) And there, I do want to plug Youth on Course. Youth on Course is a wonderful initiative by a group out of California where they have partnered with local golf associations to subsidize rounds of golf for kids. Okay. It's an awesome organization. They just partnered with us in Op36, so it's called Youth on Course. Okay. And, like, in the Carolina section, a junior golfer can sign up for Youth on Course for $20 a year. Um, what that allows them to do is play golf courses around the state for $5. Oh, wow. And then youth on course will subsidize the difference back to the course. So if the greens fee costs $20, the kid would pay $5. Youth on course would then pay the golf course that $15. So the golf course doesn't lose anything. Okay. It's an awesome initiative. And in the Carolina section, Harold Varner III, the PGA Tour player, mm-hmm. actually he pays – $15 of the $20 annual fee. Wow. For each kid. So like my son, TR, he paid $5 to be a member of youth on course. And then every time we go around and play these youth on course courses, which there's quite a few of them, if you go on their website, we pay $5. Sure. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. There's, which, I think there are a lot of programs out there more so than people know. I had Scott Stallings, uh PGA tour player, uh, from Tennessee on uh, the podcast yep. actually a few months ago. And he's got an initiative, Kids Play Free, um, in conjunction with the Tennessee Golf uh, Foundation. And, you know, it's it's just about making golf, you know, more affordable and free. And, you know, he said, you better wear a helmet when you come out on the weekends because <laughs> balls are flying every direction, he said. But it's so awesome to see people getting involved in the game, um, you know, not spending a ton of money to get involved and, you know, seeing if it's something that they want to continue to pursue. So, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunities out there more than just the couple that we've talked about, you know, around the country that are really going to help grow the game. Absolutely. I think we need to, I may put down to to reach out to Scott. Sounds like he's doing some good stuff. Love to partner with him and try to help grow that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, If I can help you help connect you there, uh, let me know. Be happy to do that. Oh, that'd be great. I, we met Scott. He was down here two or three years ago for a lesson with David Orr, and he was so gracious. He came over, took a picture with the kids. He wouldn't remember who I was, but he did an awesome job. Yeah. Took a picture with the kids. They were all in awe. Oh, my goodness, PGA Tour player, and he couldn't have been nicer. He was awesome. Yeah, yeah. He's a he's an awesome guy, so um, good deal. Um, well, Ryan, thanks a lot for your time. I really appreciate it. Sure. I think this was a super valuable um episode i mean it it flew by for me i don't know about you but um you know we've run through about an hour and uh, i think we provided a lot of value to this group so i really appreciate it absolutely i appreciate you listening and and giving us a voice at operation 36 i mean it was just two of us matt reagan and i that started in a 
garage with a napkin and a plan in 2010 and it's kind of blown up and we just want to keep uh, keep spreading the word about the opportunities that are available and I mean kind of my two passions parenting figuring out how to do that I've, I've made my plenty of mistakes and I try to read as much as I can to learn and um, parenting and junior golf so I, I, I enjoy talking about it I appreciate you guys listening absolutely well if there's anything I can do to help you out please don't hesitate to reach out absolutely thank you Matt for having me yeah thanks Ryan Well, that wraps up this week's episode of Junior Golf Keys, episode 28 with Ryan Daly, the co-founder of Operation 36. I really appreciate you guys tuning in for it. I hope you were able to take away some valuable information from my conversation with Ryan. I think that Operation 36 is really going in the right direction for developing the game of golf, introducing new players, helping them learn and grow within the game, um, also helping coaches be able to have a really good system to use when introducing some of their new players to the game and helping them develop. Um, and definitely for parents as well uh, that are plugged in, you know, bringing their young players to work with coaches that are using this system, I think can be super beneficial if they're a new player, just picking up a club uh, for the fairly, you know, the first time. So um, encourage you guys to reach out to them and connect. Like Ryan said, you can find them at operation36.golf. Um, and I would encourage you to do that. I think Ryan and his team are really moving in the right direction. So appreciate you guys tuning in. As I always ask, if you like this episode, please share it. Please leave a review. Also, make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss out on some of the exciting guests that we have coming up. And I hope you join me next week for another episode of Junior Golf Keys.